a bit to hear my bi-weekly conversation with Dustin Reed. We talk all about the U.S. dollar during this podcast, including his short-term outlook for U.S. dollars, as well as the probability of the U.S. dollar losing its status as sole reserve currency and what that might mean for markets. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm back from my bi-weekly conversation with Dustin Reed. Dustin, let's jump right into it. What we've seen recently on the U.S. dollar, and I'd really like your opinion on the dollar specifically, it's been a little stronger uh, lately since the hawkish tone came out of the Fed at the last uh, at the last meeting. But prior to that, it was sort of weak, and, and we've heard a lot about sort of a secular decline of the U.S. dollar. Where do you, what do you stand on, on the idea of both where uh, the U.S. dollar is now and then also the idea of a secular decline? Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I think it's a really fascinating topic. Um, talk a little bit maybe a bit about the kind of short-term tactical and then maybe the medium-term structural. So yeah, absolutely. We've seen, um, I think going into the Fed meeting, you know, again, I, you know, I think we were a little bit more hawkish than the market. I would say, you know, the Fed decision was probably a little bit more hawkish than even where, where we were particularly around the dots. Um, and we'd seen the dollar, U.S. dollar, broadly appreciating against most currencies, um, you know, particularly G10 currencies, I would say, going into the meeting and, and coming out. Um, you know, I think that I think this kind of short term tactical play in terms of being stronger U.S. dollar is is the right play here. Uh, you know, when you look at tactical, um, you know, tactical FX, which is kind of the, the world I came from before before coming to McKenzie, at least, you know, for a good chunk of my career, I spent a lot of time on uh, on positioning and where, you know, how much is already in the trade and how, you know, how long or how short, uh, you know, is the market already, um, you know, of, of various trades. And obviously the dollar is the, the, the you know, the most, uh, the most important currency of, of all the currencies. Obviously it's a global reserve currency of choice right. and it's the largest in terms of transactional. It's, it's a significant proportion of all FX trades done you know, on a daily basis, whether that's spot, futures, forwards, options, et cetera. Um, and so what we saw for a while was that the market was getting um, you know, quite short of US dollars to the, earlier this year, like to the point where I, I would say it was becoming, becoming extreme. And there are a few, a few of the banks that, that, we, you know, that we work with have very good, uh, I won't name them here per se, but have very good proprietary um, uh, flow data that you know we would call our positioning data or both flow and positioning data and you kind of get an idea of where various parts of the market are are positioned and it's interesting you can slice it a few different ways I mean usually the the CFTC um, data which gets published every week usually with kind of a, a Tuesday close you know a lie in the sand and, and released on a Friday is often cited but there's, there are other sources of data that I think are, are good, and there are a few people that, that really amalgamate that data pretty well. So we've been paying attention to that, and I think have a pretty good idea of where, you know, where things go. And we kind of saw the market turning a little bit, um, not only leverage money or hedge fund money, but also some real money, like you know, mutual funds, pension funds, like you know, like ourselves, started to see them exit uh, some of these um, what I would call like structural short. Uh, U.S. dollar positions, you know, earlier this year, and turning turning the boat, so to speak, 
um, a few weeks or a number of weeks before the, you know, before the Fed meeting and started to see, uh, you started to see some appreciation, dollar appreciation with that. And I think that, um, you know, much like in the fixed income market, which is obviously where we're, we're most, fo- most focused on, you know, myself and my team, um, you know, in positioning counts. Um, and it's been, you know, we've talked about it here on this podcast, is, you know, as, as a driver for, uh, you know, the, the, the level of the yield curve and the shape of the curve. So too is the same in a way with, uh, with, with currencies, particularly the dollar. So I think, you know, the market has cleared out that short position now. And it's now, uh, I would say overall, you know, somewhat, somewhat long, not, not extremely long, but definitely not small long either. And importantly, what generally happens here is we see kind of the fast money or the hedge fund money, leverage money, um, lead a lot of these kind of changes in, the, you know, in the, in the short term cycle. And then the real money, uh, like, you know, uh, pension funds, mutual funds right. will kind of not be slower per se, but want to see a little bit more, uh, they don't necessarily want to pick tops and pick bottoms. They're, you know, comfortable kind of getting in and, and having a little bit more of the trend. And I think we've kind of seen that now over the last few weeks, uh, generally with, um, you know, real money, so to speak, um, you know, following through on some of that leverage money from a few weeks ago or even a couple months ago now. So, um, you know, so that's, that's, that's kind of like a, a deep dive on the on the positioning, you know, on the positioning side. And again, I think that's because uh, people were expecting, you know, got the in, the anticipation that the Fed might be a little bit more, a little bit more hawkish um, than expected. I also think there's pretty good flows going into the U.S. from a you know, from a securities perspective, U.S. equities continue to, to to generally outperform. I mean, you know, we know very well from, you know, from chats, you know, you and I uh, here and, and offline, you know, just the, the insatiable demand for, for U.S. paper, um, you know, from a, you know, from a treasury perspective, yield curve perspective, you know, or even or even from a credit perspective, right, investment grade or high yield bonds, right, and you, you know, price in U.S. dollars has been a it's been huge demand, not only last year but also this year, and that you know that's also a synthetic bid for you know bid for dollars. We we don't see that necessarily disappearing anytime soon, at least for the okay. next few weeks. You know, for the summer or early July now already. Well, it's, it's goes it goes fast. Um, so you know, we think there's probably a bit of a, a bit of a lull here where the dollar can probably appreciate as the U.S. consumer continues to look very very constructive, very strong. You know, growth looks good. Fed looks pretty constructive. Um, uh, consumer confidence is is decent. Inflows remain decent. Uh, so there's a lot of kind of short term tactical things that I, I I would look for that I like about the dollar, and I think that that's you know probably with us for you know for the summer here. Call it the next you know six seven eight weeks. Um, okay. Kind of beyond that. Kind of beyond. Not to put a, a mark on it, but you know, kind of beyond Jackson Hole, you know, maybe even the September FOMC, you know, kind of, I think that this this idea of kind of a medium or even longer term structural decline in the U.S. dollar still still holds some some weight, at least in terms of thinking about whether it's going to happen or not. I, I tend to believe that it will. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on globally that I think are that I think is interesting. First of all, obviously, I mean, everyone's printed money pretty much right over the last year and change for the obvious reason. Um, you know, so the U.S. is not a panacea in terms of adding to its debt, right? I mean, a lot of countries are doing it. We're doing it here in Canada, obviously, in in serious amounts. Um, you know, as a percentage GDP, like it's a it's a big number, but but every everyone's doing it. Um, 
So you don't want to necessarily say, okay, well, twin deficits U.S. because that kind of looks at everything in a bit of a silo, and I think that's I think that's somewhat unfair. Um, but at the same time, I do think that the budget, you know, the kind of the annual budget levels in the U.S. are significant. I think we will see some pretty significant fiscal numbers this year, you know, in terms of you know new spend under this administration, and. You know, the U.S. dollar has been the global reserve currency of choice for a long period of time. Um, but but I do feel that uh, China in many ways is doing is doing things to um, open up its economy uh, to allow or at least allow the um, the, the yuan to to be a, uh, a a dual currency in terms of its ability to be a global reserve currency. It's going to take a while. I mean, we're still talking years or even multiple years. Uh, but at the same time, the size of China's economy can't be ignored. The amount of investment that's going in China can't be ignored. Uh, you know, the bond market is opening up significantly there. Not only the you know not only the sovereign, but also um, you know the, uh, the 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 credit market, the corporate market. I mean, we are you know we are pretty active in the um, as we've talked about before pretty active in the in the sovereign market we hold we hold chinese government bonds not only within the, glo- the the global portfolios but you know across all our portfolios even even in core because we think they represent really good really good value um and the banking side can you know continues to open up um so i think there's a lot of interesting things kind of on the china side and, and this is not a one week one month one quarter no, sure. you know one year thing but um you know but i, I do think that there are that that there is scope and opportunity, especially for a lot of sovereign wealth funds and central banks to diversify away from U.S. dollars, um, you know, when they can. It's almost like uh, it's almost like selling on rallies, basically. If you you know have a bit of a pop in the dollar and you kind of get a little bit more for it, maybe you diversify away from that into yuan uh, where you can. So I think you know you kind of have a few things going on. You kind of have the the structural decline in the U.S. You have obviously big deficit numbers. You have big spending numbers. Um, you have, uh, and you have a, a rising, a, a rising China that I think is. I mean, it's not competitive now, one for one. But I think in you know three or five years, it's 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 definitely it's a conversation, and I would say a strong conversation at a minimum, uh, if not more. And I think that you know that that reserve diversification away from from various central banks, I think is. Yeah. Is going to be a, is going to be an interesting conversation. So, you know, that's what we try to do within the you know to bring it back to the portfolio side. That's what we try and do a fair bit. Um, you know, we obviously have our eye on kind of the what I would call the medium plus structural themes, and we all we always do. But we're trying to tactically uh, trade you know in and out uh, of those of those themes. So this is a good example of that where you know we generally believe in a a slow but uh, steady cyclical uh sorry structural us dollar decline um but for the you know for the summer so to speak with latin for lack of a better term it's a good it's a good opportunity to kind of be tactically long dollars against euro yen uh, even against even against cad right dollar cad it's been a pretty good trade it's gone from one one twenty fifty, popped above 124 we have a few things on in, in that space so um, you know, this is kind of how we look at at the portfolio and and try and manage it accordingly and get uh, you know marry the tactical and the structural. 
That's that's fascinating, uh, Dustin. I, I want to follow up just on the idea of the sort of uh, mid to longer term decline, uh, structural decline of the U.S. dollar. Um, and uh, you referenced the yuan um, uh, for sure as a as a rival currency. Yeah. Um, would you see? Would you would you expect um, that the yuan is going to start taking on some characteristics that the U.S. dollar takes on? Um, for example, uh, flight to safety uh, into China during uh, during downturns, um, or you know, commodity prices, all of these things that the U.S. dollar is sort of structural yeah. um, uh, underlying the the uh, economy. Do you, do you see that uh, uh, going over to the yuan? So I think you see it now, uh, but kind of one level down. And so what I mean by that is sometimes you'll see flows uh, regionally. So local Asia, if people want uh, to, to have a bit of a safe haven play, they'll, uh, and it's not huge, but I think you do, you are st starting to see it. People will flow to the Yuan. And I think, uh, you know, so you're seeing it on a regional basis, but it hasn't necessarily you know, graduate, let's say, to the kind of the global reserve currency of choice like the dollar has. Right. But I think that that's changing. And I think I think central banks and sovereign wealth funds will lead will lead the way here in terms of, um, you know, just their just the percentage of holdings. And to be fair, it's a long way. It's a long, long way to go. Yes. Um, but the, but the divert and it won't necessarily be people piling into you one, it'll be people looking to diversify away from US dollars when when the opportunity arises. But I do think you have kind of the early innings of it, so to speak, because you do see those flows happen, uh, you know, regionally, we saw it a little bit last year when things were going, you know, when, when, when things were tough going, even though even when you had uh, some of the um, you know, obviously, some of the the worst news, uh, especially early on, was was coming out of China. You still saw some of those regional flows, and you see that sometimes too, right? When the U on, on kind of on the global scale, when the U.S. you know might be involved in a conflict and there's a risk off event, and people are buying U.S. dollars, and you kind of say, "Hang on a sec here, like, how does this like why why is this working like this?" So I think there are some to your question. I think there are some you know, um, initial properties that you want is showing on the regional basis that is, um, you know, w would suggest that in three or five years, it could absolutely be uh, not only a very, you know, not only the strong regional player, which in many ways it is obviously the ends there as well, but, um, you know, be a, be a serious player on a global scale. And is this, is this really a two currency story or does the Euro, Yen, Pound, any other major currency have yeah. uh, something to play here or something to benefit from a structural um, decline of U.S. dollars? So I, that's a good question. I think I think all those currencies and I would add maybe CAD and, uh, and Aussie um, to kind of what if you look at most larger central bank balance sheets, those are the currencies you're going to see on the balance sheets. Um, but I think it really is kind of a two currency play here. Euro has just never, and it's obviously significant. It's a good size for, um, you sure. know, generally the second largest reserve currency um, at many central banks. But I think, I, I just, I don't think the euro is ever going to be kind of on par with, with the U.S. Um, one of the uh, one of the reasons I say that is because. Um, uh, at least until the at least until Europe is able to have a true equal footing monetary and fiscal uh, policy, uh, the ability to have to have that policy happen concurrently, I think is going to be 
I think is going to be challenging, you know, because right now, obviously, there's a kind of a, you know, the ECB you know, manages the monetary side, but it's it's country for the most part um, in many, many ways, like on, on the fiscal side, right? The tax and spend policy. Right. And I think not being able to coordinate or have a coordinated uh, fiscal policy in Europe has held it back. And that was, you know, at least from a reserve currency perspective, I think that was one of the worries you know, in the mid nineties, not to go way back, but in the mid nineties about how, you know, how would, how would the Euro, you know, the currency, not, not, not the Eurozone, but the Euro, how would it function? And, you know, how, like, what does this look like without like, you know, a, a, you know, the equivalent of an ECB on the fiscal side. And, right. uh, you know, obviously the Euro, um, you know, there, there's the European development bank and there's a lot of, there are a lot of so, uh, like super, so, super uh, sovereigns that issue paper kind of on behalf of Europe in, in euros, but it's not quite, it's not quite the same. And um, I don't think that you're necessarily going to see the Euro, the currency participate and be as um, revered or regarded uh, or a global reserve currency of choice like the U S dollar until it really functions properly. So maybe Europe will make that change in, you know, in the five years we're talking about, right? Uh, very, very possible. It's been, you know, anything, you know, a lot of things have happened in the last two years. So I think anything's possible in the next five, right? And then you obviously have kind of the digital currency side, which I'm definitely not an expert on. Um, and, and a lot of, and a lot of uh, central banks are looking at that, you know, to, which would obviously, you know, kind of make this, make this conversation a little bit more, a little bit more complex kind of going forward. But I think it's challenging for Euro. So I do see it as a, a two currency race, and I think just the scope and breadth of the Chinese economy really, really allows that. And, uh, you know, what, what China needs to do now is kind of open up more and allow that currency to float probably a little bit more and right. really float like the U.S. dollar floats against every, pretty much everything. Right. If the, if the Chinese decide to really let it float, then I think they're going to see more inflows. It's going to give more credence and credibility to the currency. And you're going to see more central banks and sovereign wealth funds adopt it. And it's going to become more of a global reserve currency of choice, closer to where the U.S. dollar is. And what do you think the probability of the central bank in China being willing to do that is in the foreseeable future? I mean, for, for, I mean, define foreseeable, I would say, you know, in the next few months, probably not, not a huge amount. But at the same time, I do think that the, I do think China wants to. I, I do think they they want to be seen as a place for uh, strong capital inflows and strong capital investment, mm -hmm. and you know I think along with that, at least I believe along with that, you need to have a currency that is pretty f uh, free floating. Um, you know, the, the Chinese may have a slightly have a slightly different view on it, but but I do think that they also probably realize that that is, you know, somewhat necessary. And, um, right. you know, and, and it does float a little bit, but it is, it is obviously still somewhat, somewhat managed, uh, you know, with the basket and the reference rate and, and those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, and obviously CNY against the U S dollars had a pretty good run, uh, you know, since last, since last summer, we traded, I think above seven last summer and traded below six forty. um, you know, this year. So the CNY's had a pretty good appreciation against the US dollar for, you know, for a while. So it's not, it's definitely not stagnant and that's not a small move either. Right. I mean, you're looking at, sure. you're looking at seven, seven, eight percent, something like that. Um, you know, which is not, which is, which is, you know, very, you know, very sizable for, for any currency really. Um, but I feel like on a day-to-day -day basis, the, 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 the up and down, the in and out, the flow isn't quite, 
isn't quite, um, you know, as much. And I think that, uh, you know, I believe that Chinese really do want to attract a lot of um, the capital inflows. And uh, I think that that's a very interesting, you know, I think that's a very, uh, that's a very good way to, to do that in terms of uh, having even more. I mean, clearly there's a lot of, a lot of firms that want to be in China, that are in China, that are investing in China. And, um, you know, I think that, I think that, you know, a, a little, you know, the, if the currency continues to, to move towards being more free floating, I think it's, it's only going to help the, the, the CNY as, uh, you know, as a, as a secondary, or at least a very, very significant reserve currency, um, you know, globally, not only for transactions, but also for, you know, also for central bank and sovereign wealth fund holdings. And final question, I guess. So if, if this is, if you're correct in, in uh, what you've laid out here, where, um, you know, I wouldn't say that you're predicting some sort of massive shift or anything like that, but a gradual uh, yeah. decline in the U.S., yeah. uh, a gradual rise in the U.N. Um, what is the, what is the market implication of that? Do, does all of a sudden the flight to safety that usually goes to USD become a little bit less pronounced? Um, you know, like what, what, how do you think about that from a market point of view? I think I think that's exactly right. I think you could have, uh, you know, whenever there seems to be a risk off or a flight to safety, it may not be as um, it may not be as obvious to be going all the way towards towards the USD. You know, I think a lot of the reason that people flock to the USD is because it is, you know, the world's um, you know global reserve, the reserve currency of choice. You know, people like to be in treasuries. Uh, that market's pretty large from a sovereign perspective. Sure. Um, you know, people feel relatively comfortable about that. Yeah. So there may be, you know, there might be a little bit more kind of two way, um, you know, two, you know, at least, at least a, you know, two way decisions on that in terms of, um, you know, the U S dollar may not get that, get, get that appreciation. I mean, I think, you know, for a while, I know some of the countries in the middle East were talking about, um, pricing oil in euros. Right. And I think that's, you know, like when little things like, like little anecdotal things like that happen, I think that's, you know, I think that's very interesting. So if we start seeing more stories around commodities or oil uh, getting priced in yuan, um, you know, I think that, you know, that, that would be, that would be something that would suggest that this, you know, this, this discussion is getting a little bit, you know, a little bit further, um, a little bit further down the road perfect dust and i'm sure that there's plenty of political uh fallout and and, uh, and different things to consider as well but we'll leave that for another time okay uh, so i really appreciate you, you taking the time that was fascinating thanks Dustin. yeah you're very welcome thanks for having me the content of this podcast including facts views opinions and recommendations is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and Mackenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fun facts and prospectus before investing. 
the indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.